Welcome to Maximal Being, a GI doc and ICU nurse that break down the science so you can exceed your gut health, nutrition and fitness goals. So, let's smash the bro science and optimizing your health with your hosts, Doc Mock and R.N. Graham. Hello, Maximal Beings. This is uh, R.N. Graham. I'm here with Doc Mock and Sharif Ultrafit, and this is our fourth podcast. Um, and so we welcome you for your listening pleasure. Uh, we're going to go around. We're going to introduce ourselves. Once again, I'm R.N. Graham. I am a ICU nurse down here in South Florida. Um, I'm also an ex-physique competitor and an avid gym rat. Mr. Doc Mock. Yeah. Hi. Hey, Max Beans. Doc Mock here. I'm an advanced endoscopist here in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I'm also a nutrition um, gut health, and uh, I dabble in the fitness industry as well. Sharif Ultrafit. What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Sharif Ultrafit. I am a National Academy Sports Medicine personal trainer, and I am part of the Maximal Being team. Excited to be here with you guys. So today's topic, we will be talking about meat, and I'm not talking about the way I like my drinks. I'm not talking about the way I like my room. In fact, I'm not even talking about the fact that those guys are there. They're, they're neat. They're neat. Instead, what we're talking about is how being outside the gym and what you do outside the gym actually plays a huge part in your weight loss and fitness goals. So with that being said, Doc Mock, can you tell us what NEAT is? Yeah, so NEAT stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's essentially your body's ability to um, burn energy while doing daily activities that are viewed as leisure or more passive. Um, in terms of how it fits into your global spectrum of activity, right, your ability to burn energy is termed total energy expenditure. And within that are two main components. That's your basal metabolic rate, which is your height, weight, sex, age, and activity level, and then your um, total ability to burn energy from food, or TEF. When you subtract your basal metabolic rate from your ability to burn energy with food, and you, you remove that from your total energy expenditure, what you're left with is NEAT. And NEAT really has three big components to it. That's body posturing, um, ambulation, so moving around, and then all other spontaneous movements. Back to you, R.N. Graham. So let's talk about two people. We're going to talk about our friends, Kate and Kat. Now, Kate and Kat are identical twins. Shreve Ultrafit has written them the exact same workout plan. Doc Mock has written them the exact lifestyle nutrition plan. They both do a 12-week course of both these plans. At the end of this plan, Kate loses more than Kat. But how is that so if they're doing the exact same plan? They go to the gym together. They do meal preps together. The difference is, is neat. So Kat goes to the gym. Kate goes to the gym. Afterwards, they go home. They get ready. They go to work. Now, they work at the exact same place doing the exact same thing. The difference is, Kat parks far away, walks up 
two flights of stairs to get to her office. Kate, on the other hand, she's exhausted from her workout. She decides to park closer, take the elevator up, sits at her desk right next to Kat. Now, Kat, while at work, stands up and moves around as she's on her phone calls. You know, she does this two hours out of the day. Now, Kate, on the other hand, says, you know what, I worked out hard at the gym today. I'm going to relax now. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do my phone calls. She does this for her two hours. Break time. Now that's break time. What does Kat do? Kat grabs a protein bar, walks back down those two flights of stairs, and decides to walk the parking lot while eating her protein bar. Kate, on the other hand, decides, hmm, I'm going to also have my protein bar, but I'm going to sit in my same chair and I'm going to scroll through my Instagram feed to find out what Maximum Being has just posted. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, Kate. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> so now the workday's over. Kat goes home. Kate goes home. Kat decides, you know what, I'm going to take my dog for a walk. Kate, on the other hand, says, man, it was a long day. I got my workout in this morning. You know, I had a long day at work. I'm going to sit here on this couch and I'm going to binge some Netflix. At the end of all of this, you will notice that Kat and Kate did the exact same workouts, ate the exact same meals. But what was the difference? Sharif Ultrafit, can you answer that question for me? So, yes, absolutely. Um, when it comes to me, it's basically all the extra exercise that you do outside of the gym. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy as far as like doing 100 push-ups or 200 squats. It doesn't have to be any of that. It could be as little as, like you said, parking the furthest spot, whatever you go. So you can walk a few until you get to whatever it is that you're going Um take the stairs instead of the elevator it could be as small as like just fidgeting your fingers um and gestures it's basically it's very similar to epoch which is exercise post exercise oxygen consumption right where you're you're burning calories even though you're not working and believe it or not people that are consistent with their need people that stay active um, outside of the gym, you could burn up to like 2,000 calories more a day. Um, and that's probably why Kat burns more calories than Kate, right? Um, it's very imper imperative to get that in every day um, because most people have sedentary jobs, right? They go to work, they sit down on their desk for eight hours a day, five to six days a week. They sit in their car to drive home or pick up their kids. Then when they get home, they sit on their couch watching TV or the news or whatever it is. So if you get the chance to walk your garbage out or walk your dog maybe a few steps longer than just taking them down and right back up or take the stairs instead of the escalator at the, at the mall, these little things add up throughout the whole day, right? Stand up at your desk instead of just sitting down. Um, I advise a lot of my clients in between breaks, you know, in between sets, they like to sit down, they're gasping for air. I tell them, stand up. You can still rest while you're standing up. You don't have to sit down. 
because you're still burning calories, right? Your body has to support you, your posture, your core, all these little things add up and it makes a huge difference. Um, I highly, like if I get an overweight person, like in the, on, in the obese category, I tell them, especially somebody that's never worked out before, I tell them to increase their knee activities before you even start working out. You know, that's like the first step you should do. Get your body used to moving around quite often before you start lifting weights and hurting yourself. So that being said, um, it's a huge part of your fitness journey um, and it'll help you tremendously reaching your goals and results. And um, Schaefer, you can tell us more from the medical field, you know, being a professional, if I'm correct or not. Yeah, I think I, I think you're absolutely correct on a lot of those points that, you know, exercise is an incremental benefit and that you can see continued gains with any little changes that you make in your life. So the question comes now with the coronavirus being, you know, a part of our daily life. Are Americans or are people in the world moving around more or moving around less? Anecdotally, when I look out the window or I just went on a walk right now, um, you see a lot of people outside and it's really encouraging, right? We see people riding their bikes, going for long walks, but is that the aggregate uh, gains that, that America is seeing? Well, Fitbit actually published a study recently where they looked at their activity tracking data. And that said, not everybody has a Fitbit device, right? People use other sort of devices, but what they found in their data is that Americans are moving around 12% less during the time of coronavirus than pre-coronavirus. As a, as a further step to that, if you look at other countries, Europe actually has the lowest amount of change in activity, and that's 38% less than people were. Now, is it just that people are outside more and not listening to um, you know, what our government tells them to do here in America, or do Europeans just move around a lot more than we do? I don't know. But the, med the evidence right now is starting to show that we're moving around less as a society, which we're not going to see the impact on until years later. Aaron Graham, what are, do you think that there are uh, other health benefits outside of, of just uh, obesity for meat? Oh, definitely. I mean, honestly, you think about it. The more you move around, the better it is actually for you, even mentally. Um, you relieve a lot of stress by moving around. You know, we hold and harbor a lot of stressful events throughout the day. Um, and a lot of time people think they're relaxing um, by sitting in front of their TV and trying to de-stress. That's actually not true. What you're doing is then you're kind of just sitting there. You know, you're not facing whatever it was that may have bothered you throughout the day. You're just pushing it aside. While if you're being, you know, active, whether it's going for a walk, walking your dog, even folding laundry, you know, you're actually, you're actually using that energy that may have set inside of you and harboring, harboring inside of you. You're using that energy to do something that's productive. You're taking your mind off of it. Definitely, definitely neat in every aspect outside of just weight, you know, weight health and all that. There is many, many other benefits to it. Yeah, and in fact, JAMA had a study that came out earlier this year that reported um, the average number of steps that people 
make and the impact of that on all-cause mortality and cardiovascular mortality, so dying from a heart attack. And what they found is that people that walk less than 4,000 steps in a day over their lifetime have a significantly higher mortality than people that uh, walk anything above that. And the gains are incremental. So the more that you walk, the lower your overall mortality gets. And then what just came out in JAMA, which was featured in the New York Times um, recently, is talking about cancer prevention. So just walking and any sort of exercise has, has a benefit for decreasing the incidence of cancer prevention. So things that you guys are doing and Sharif, your, your clients, you're actually preventing their ability to have multiple different types of cancer. And they said moderate or high intensity exercises were even better than walking alone. And so need is definitely a piece of that puzzle. So I have a question for you, Sharif Ultrafit. Now, do you feel that there is a point where you can overtrain and it affects your knee? Um, <clears throat> it's a different type of training because knee is usually um, kind of like what Schaefer said. It's it's not a high intensity um, exercise to perform, right? So even if you stay at the gym for you or you get your two three sessions a day, that's kind of like overworking your muscle, right? Um, just walking down the stairs is not gonna affect your body in a negative way. Um, it's not like you're going to do another hour of legs, right? It's not like you're going for a run. I'm not asking you to run. I'm just asking you to walk down the stairs or walk a couple more spaces where you park your car as opposed to just a VIP spot where you just get out of your door and walk right inside the, the store, right? So um, does it have any negative effects? I, I'd say no. It's more, it's more of a positive effect than anything. Um, I believe that the human body uh, is like a machine. Um, so the minute you stop moving around, your body seizes up, and that's when you start having health complications and uh, problems with your like your bones and stuff like that, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor Doc Schaefer. Um, excuse me. <laughs> it's very, and it's an easy thing to do on a daily basis, and it doesn't require much, really. How much energy does it take for you to move your hands or cut a piece of apple? Or like you said, just fold your laundry on a regular basis, right? It doesn't require much, and it helps you tremendously. So, yes, I mean, we we evolved from apes, if you want to think that way, and that's what they do in the wild. You just walk around, you hunt for food. And you're never really at a still pace unless you're sleeping. What do you so, think? So actually, um, doing my research, I found out that what happens with a lot of people is they say, okay, I've hit this plateau. You know, so what do I need to do? Well, I need to exercise more. That's actually um, counterproductive because what happens in that situation is you actually get more fatigued throughout the day. And you actually do hit a, a point where your daily expenditure, whether you're in the gym for you know 45 minutes or you're in the gym for three hours, you're not gonna you're not going to burn tons more calories because your body will then say, Okay, look, listen, we're getting tired. We're gonna stop burning as many calories, and you will hit a plateau with that. 
So that's, and of course that affects your neat because, you know, look at Kat, for example. I'm sorry, not Kat, but Kate. Kate was tired. You know, she said, well, I did my workout, so I'm good for the day, so I'm going to sit down for the rest of the day. That's not how it works. What actually happens is, you know, you do your workout and you do, and you still go through your day using neat. What happens is you will consistently burn those calories versus, you know, killing it at the gym and dogging it the rest of the day. So um, it's a common misconception that, okay, well, hit a plateau, work out more. No. Hit a plateau, add more neat. Do little things throughout your day to help you burn, you know, those supplemental calories, basically. Yeah, there's a, about that? yeah I was going to say there, there's a condition called overtraining syndrome where you've trained so much that your body is just – uh, incapable of you know furthering your exercise goals um it's pretty well publicized but they don't actually know what determines the risk factors for somebody getting it like i could work out one day a week and have overtraining syndrome but maybe you guys are working out every single day and it's not until you get a higher intensity like you're running a marathon that you get to that point and there's a rebound right your body's always going to bounce back the other direction so people with overtraining syndrome, most of these are marathon runners, will train, train, train. They'll do well for a while in their marathon running, and then there'll just be a point where they plateau or even go backwards and injure themselves or just cannot even get off the couch and do any neat exercises. Um, so, yeah, like beware of the overtraining. And it's a it's a very simple because everybody could do the neat, right? Not everybody can go to the gym and lift depending on – um, your injury injury or a health level, but everybody could go out for a small walk. Everybody can park a couple of spots away. Everybody can go up and down the stairs. So it's it's a lot more accessible to most of the population than your regular exercise routine. So going back to Cat and Kate, now to burn about to lose about a pound um a week you need to put yourself in roughly depending on it's different from every person but for the most part it's you need to put yourself at a 500 um calorie deficit to burn roughly a pound a week okay so it's the little things like me um so standing up at your desk you will burn an additional 30 to 40 calories an hour by just standing up at your desk. So if you're standing up at your desk for two hours, you know, whether it be, you know, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, um, that's an additional 60 to 80 calories a day right there that you're burning. You know, that adds up. Add to that if you now are standing up at your desk and walking back and forth, pacing, or even tapping your feet, you're now adding another 30 to 40 calories. So instead of that 80 calories you may be burning a day, you're now burning 160 calories a day. Add to that the walking up and down the stairs. Taking two flights of stairs twice a day, you may burn an additional 100 calories. Walking throughout, you know, walking on your break, that's an additional 100 calories. So you're looking at up to 2,000 calories a day, as you said. Now, generally speaking, the average person can add 800 calories that they're burning, you know. That plays a huge part in your long-term goal, and it's simple. It's little things that you already should be doing. 
So absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's calories in versus calories out, right? You're trying to lose weight. It's got you got to go into a caloric deficit. And if you're a person, again, because when you're at the, the gym, it's not just the hour there; it's the intensity you put in that hour. And not everybody's able to put a hundred percent intensity um, as most novice people that work out correct um so you can get that extra expenditure of calories through your walks through your climbing up and down the stairs through um playing with your kids holding your kid and playing with them that's i mean these are all calories that you spend that you need to spend that will help you in the long run like you said it keeps adding up 30 calories at a time 10 calories at a time but it does add up because you're doing it all day, every day. So, Doc Mock, do you think that we are moving in the right direction as far as need as a society, or do you think we're moving in the wrong direction over time? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the data speaks for itself that we are definitely a more sedentary civilization, and we're getting that way over time for, for a few reasons. You know, number one is... Um, technology and industrialization. We don't now have to grow our own food and we don't have to get that food out of the ground into our houses anymore. You just drive to the store and get the food from the grocery store and bring it back. They've actually looked at what your job is and your job itself will impact need. So like, you know, if you work in a cubicle and you're sitting behind a desk all day, you're by definition going to be burning less calories. I may be a, another slight step in that direction, myself and Aaron Graham, because as healthcare workers, we're up and down stairs, we're from bed to bed, we're from room to room, we're on our feet almost all day. And in the procedure room, I'm on my feet, so I really don't sit at all, even to eat lunch. Um, and then Sharif Ultrafit, you're the next level because your job is to exercise. So you're Pretty like, much, yeah. you're burning a ton of calories. But in terms of the neat activity in jobs, you know, construction workers, agricultural workers have been shown to have a higher percentage of neat um, than, than not that way. Um, and then also the constructs around our are where your jobs are located, right? So I live in more of an urban environment. Um, and my grandfather, who was an industrial engineer, and my great-grandfather was a civil engineer, were both around the time of creating the transit system in New York as, as a state. And the government was basically like, okay, pick one of these two things, to the, to, not to my grandfather and great-grandfather specifically, but to the, the groups that they worked with. They were like, we're either going to build mass transit or we're going to build highway systems and cars. And right, we're America. We make cars, or we used to, um, so America picked highway systems. So as a result, we have an underdeveloped mass transit system. People sit in their little concrete bubbles at work. They sit in their steel bubbles on their way into work, and they're not up and walking the way that they are in, in big city environments. And so I think, yes, as a society, we're moving in the wrong direction. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that you brought up the, the jobs itself because it's very true, agricultural jobs, the average person in agricultural jobs, such as farmers, burn up to 2,000 calories a day doing neat, while someone that works in a cubicle, say like telemarketing or something like that, only burn 500 calories. Now, all they're doing is 
working. They're going to work. This is their nine to five. So with that said alone, you know, that's a big, big difference. So two people doing the exact same workouts, eating the exact same meals, there's your difference. Also, it's interesting that you brought up the big cities versus, you know, the urban civilizations versus, you know, rural civilizations or not even rural, but, you know, more suburbia. Um, places like New York City, people, generally speaking, do move around more um, outside of COVID, of course, um, because they are not going to jump in their car for 30 minutes to get to where they need to. They're going to, you know, walk 15 minutes to the subway, stand up inside the subway, exit the subway, walk up the subway steps, then go to their job. You know, right there, it's a big difference in the amount of NEAT that is being performed. And that also might be the reason why during the COVID crisis, the numbers in Europe are impacted so much more than the numbers in the United States. Because generally speaking, in a lot of European countries, people don't take cars everywhere. They generally speaking are walking or using some type of public transportation. So that might be the reason why the discrepancy in numbers is higher for them than it is for us. I also think that you two are really lucky in that you have warm weather almost all year round. And that is such a neat determiner. So for a while I lived in the West Indies and actually I learned in medical school that the closer you get to the equator, the higher your basal metabolic rate goes up. Now we're not talking about BMR, right? We're talking about NEAT, that's different. But also they've, been, they've studied that people that live in warmer climates can NEAT more because you have access to the outdoors. Now it may be a little hot in Miami, I don't know, but um, that's a theory at least. I know here in Ohio where we have sun one day out of the year, um, when that sun comes out, so does the city and people are outside and moving. And, and I personally have been kayaking, hiking and outside a lot more when it's warm than when you want to hibernate. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of factors that go into it, right? Um, climate, um, gender, occupation, but that doesn't mean that the people that live in cold climate cannot get their need in. They can get in a different way, right? You can still move around your house. Um, you have access to um, stairs in your building, whatever, go up and down the stairs. Instead of balleting your trash, you can take it down yourself. There's so many other ways to get around it that you don't have to be outdoors, right? Um, your options are limited, sure, because you can't go out, you can't go to the beach, you can't go do this or that because of the weather, but you still have plenty of options to choose from and get the job done. And there's one factor, too, with cold weather, and it's shivering. Uh, That's a lot of heat right there. Live in, live in Alaska and you're shivering. That's why um, Eskimos eat a diet super high in saturated fats and they, they eat like 7,000 calories. It's been stu studied by a lot of the people that research agricultural ancestry. And it's because they're shivering, they're kneading off so many calories that just to keep up with those demands, they need more of the calories. Back, back to you, Aaron Gray. So, Shreve UltraFit. You made an interesting point. Male versus female. Who do you think gets more need in? Let's take a vote here. What um, do you think, uh, Doc Mock? Again, it depends. I feel like it depends on where we are and 
which population are we targeting, but in most cases, I feel like females would do more work than male. Why? Just because they're, they have more responsibility. They tend to, to, to take care of more than the men, where the man is like working and tired and stuff like that. And the woman is always taking care of the kids, no matter how tired she is, or she's cooking some food, or she's taking care of the laundry. Not saying that that's a woman role, but it's, it's just ten... <laughs> right. But women are more inclined to go above and beyond and do these things than Correct. men are. You know, a man will be like, "Okay, well, I just work eight hours, and I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna relax," while his wife or you know, significant other um, will say, "Well, I just worked eight hours, but the kids still need to be taken care of." You know. You know, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this. So, yes, um, women, generally speaking, are better at getting neat in because they just have the capacity to do more than most men will do. I think it, it also depends on the culture that you're a part of. So, you know, here in America, our strong women, more commonly than men, fulfill the roles of both having a job and also mm -hmm. being manager of the house, right? That's more common, I'm not saying all comers. But there are certain cultures where that's not, not as true. And so they've, they've looked at that and it turns out data from the UK and Australia, it's more common for men to generate more need than women do. And they said it's because they have more of these jobs that are a little more labor intensive. In, in contrast to, they looked at uh, West African population and women in West Africa do that, they, they have, uh, jobs and they also do all of the things around their household. A lot of these uh, people also have their own farms and and live off of their own land and vegetables. And so, you know, these strong women, after they get home from their jobs, will also be tilling the crops and pull, pulling weeds and all these things. So they found that the West African population that they study has a much higher need than the male population. And they said it's because the male population had a higher leisure activity. Now, leisure yeah, right. Leisure activity doesn't have to mean that you're just sitting there, right? But it often does, right? Because people are just tired. Leisure activity can be active leisure, which is part of need, which we talked about. If you're going outside and going for a hike or going for that walk like Kate, Kate did and not Kat after work, you're getting that need in in a fun way. It feels enjoyable as opposed to not occupational need. Exactly. 100%. What about the impact of diet on meat? Overfeeding versus underfeeding. Do you, do you guys think that impacts meat at all? 100%. I believe it does. I mean, the research can be kind of mixed depending on where you're getting your research from. Um, but this is another thing that people do. They say, well, I've hit a plateau. I'm going to eat less. Once again, that's probably something you shouldn't do. You should probably still eat as much as you can, but it needs to be healthy, um, calorie-rich foods. Like, uh, I'm not saying go eat some cheesecake. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, um, make sure you're still getting your calories in, but in a healthy manner. Because basically what happens is your body says, okay, well, turn up the thermogenics. We need to burn more. Um, because we're putting more calories in, let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. So um, uh, that's how my feeling is about it. 
Don't lower your intake of food just because you want to lose weight. Instead, eat more clean food. I think that has a direct correlation to need um, because, I mean, if you don't have the proper diet, you tend to be lazier. You don't want to get up for that walk. You don't want to take the stairs. Why would I take the stairs when I'm lazy? I'm tired. I'll just take the the, the escalator. Um, so in that sense, yes, um, what you put in your body affects your energy level. And also, say you ate a little too much calories one day, right? You went over by five, 600 calories. Your need will take care of some of that, if not all of it. But if you're not getting your need in, then you're in excess of five, 600 calories, right? So it does, it definitely has a, a, a big impact on your need, absolutely. Yeah, it, look, it looks like the research, as, as you both had alluded to, says that for under under eating, that it's almost globally true that your need will, will lessen as you under eat. And that part of it is due to the fact that you weigh less. Um, you may be tired because you're not getting in enough calories. And this is where the issue of sustainability for weight loss practices comes into play, right? Because you're lowering caloric intake, but then you're also lowering your need, right? So that it's not a necessarily like counterbalanced equation. Um, and that was some neat right there. Um, yeah. <laughs> on the other end, uh, if you look at overfeeding, the data is very mixed. And so some people think that if you eat more, your need will go up, right? So like our Eskimo example. but some people also will think that if you overeat more, you'll sit on the couch more and you won't want to, to exercise because you've had that big Thanksgiving dinner and all you want to do is sleep after it. So it, that that is where the data is very debatable. Um, yeah. Again, that's why it comes back down to like a clean diet, right? Because if you're eating a lot of a good diet, you're not going to be stuffy and feeling like you want to lay on the couch and sleep, right? But if you're eating the wrong foods, yeah, you get that food coma where you just want to sit there and watch TV and just take a nap. Um, and it comes down to, again, like RN Graham was saying about people that plateau and they need to eat less. That is, I feel like that's false. Um, in order for you to lose more weight, you need to eat more so you can burn more calories on a consistent basis. But you're, again, you're eating more of nutrient-dense food uh, as opposed to caloric-dense food, right? So again, you're eating more of good food that you're able to eat so much of and not reach as much calories as if you were to eat cheesecake and potato chips and french fries and stuff like that. And there's also yes. that thermo thermogenic effect of food, right? The eating the food in and of itself, your GI tract has to work in overdrive and utilize calories to extract the food uh, the nutrients from the food and get it to the places that it needs to get to. If right. you put in high fructose corn syrup, your body doesn't spend any energy to get fructose. Um, all it does is have to break it into two little pieces of the puzzle, not a thousand, and absorb it and get it to the places that it needs to go, which is your love handles. But um, <laughs> the thermogenic effect of food is is a big part of that equation too. Definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Now, question for both of you. How do you feel um, that we can help get the message out to people that it's the little things that you do outside the gym that have a bigger impact on your weight gain and your weight loss 
Sharif Ultrafit, you want to leave this one up? Um, the way I, I like to put it, like, uh, mathematically, there's 24 hours in a day, right? How long, how often are you in the gym for an hour a day, maybe two hours, um, which is a very small part of your day. So it, it mainly comes down to the things you do outside of the gym, right? And at some point when you become such an expert, the gym becomes the fun part, right? You want to go work out, you want to lift some weights, you get that good pump, your vascular, the blood is flowing through the body. But again, the other 22 hours of the day, what are you feeding your body? What are you doing to your body? That's really what matters. That's what affects your progress, that it affects your, your gains, um, your health, everything you do. The two hours you're at the gym is a very small portion of your, of your day. So if people can think that they can just go work out, even if it's every day, and just do absolutely nothing after, you are not going to see results. Yeah, we we have a friend. His uh, his name is Enigmatic, and he was uh, recently started on an intermittent fasting program. Was seeing a lot of great benefits, but he's also been working at home. He's a really busy um, guy that works in the business uh, world, and he was saying that he's lost like 14 pounds of fat and has, he's noticed a humongous body comp improvement with uh, COVID. And so one of the things that he started doing that he didn't realize he was doing was instead of working and sitting at a desk, he's standing at a desk, right? And so that intermittent fasting is part of it, but he got to that next level by increasing his need through just going from sitting to standing. So I think you know, gauging um, somebody's baseline activity level and making those small changes, but actually explaining to them that those little changes will help them is the first step. I think a lot of people just don't realize how much of a difference they can make with such little changes. And I mean, that's that's all of our philosophy. That's why we created MaxFoodInc.com is to get the word out on all of these things that that we talk about, that we know of to all of you out there. Very true. And, you know, even the research shows that, yes, that hour we spend in the gym, that helps out. Yes, it does. But if we go home and we're chilling out after that hour we spend in the gym or if we are at work and we're just sitting at our cubicles or whatever it may be, um, instead of being up and about, um, it actually will slow your metabolic rate considerable, considerably. Um, versus doing little things like standing up. So yeah, you you bust your tail for that hour, max two hours at the gym, but you lose it once you get into that, you know, that sit down and chill mentality. Yeah. Now, um, there's also other benefits, of course, to standing up versus sitting down at a desk. Do you want to touch on that, um, Doc Mock? Yeah, I mean, um, we, we talked about the mortality benefit as well as the benefit of cardiovascular disease. Um, you also have less of a propensity for um, developing blood clots inside of your legs, right? So I, I just had dinner with a friend last night and she went on a transcontinental flight. Seven hours, she fell asleep during the whole flight with her leg in an odd position, which led to venous stasis. And she developed a blood clot at eight, like in her 20s. As a result, yeah. so so standing up helps to helps your cardiovascular system, one of which is preventing blood clots. Um, psychologically, and I challenge all the people that are out there listening to this right now, 
when you get home from work, instead of flopping down and watching Hulu for hours, go out for a walk. And it's because all of these activities that you do to generate energy release endorphins. And endorphins are that natural feel-good thing inside of your brain. You listen to a good song and you feel the tingling up and down your spine when the, when the beat hits. Those endorphins are released by activity. And so neat activity and walking or standing, just those little tweaks that you can do will help to improve your endorphins and then improve your general mood. Absolutely, your posture too, right? Which is a very important part of um, living a healthy lifestyle, right? You, f- you find most most of the population have that rounded back because they're yeah. sitting down all the time. Their core muscles are not as strong because they don't have to support themselves. So they're sitting down, yeah. And it's sad because you see like tw- 25, 30 year old people that are like that, right? But when if you stand up, like Doc Mock said, if you stand it up, you're forcing your core to keep you up. You're 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 strengthening your core muscle, your stabilizer muscles. You're keeping a straight spine. It's like very little things like that that will help you tremendously, right? I always tell my clients, I'd rather have you do a lot of little changes than big changes on a small amount because big changes usually set you up for failure, right? Because you can't get to it or it requires so much work. And it requires a special mindset, which most people don't get to that mindset right away, right? But if you're an average person, you could do very little changes that you don't even cost you that much. But because you're doing so much of it and you're staying consistent day in and day out, then you'll get to see the difference which will give you that, um, it'll encourage you to do more because you see the results and you feel better. So little things, they do matter. Without a doubt, and that's what NEAT is. NEAT is little changes, you know, it's not major changes. And NEAT actually is, plays a far greater, uh, is a far greater contributor in your total daily expenditure than actually going to the gym. You know, if you're at the gym, you'll burn, if you're lucky, 500 calories. But as we've talked about, you can burn up to 800 calories to 2,000 calories a day with NEAT. So small changes for big results. I think that that's that's a great summary, Richard, uh, R.N. Graham. Um, do you guys want to move on to some listener mail? Yes. Sure do. Okay, so the first one comes from Peaches, which I love that name. Um, It says, love back day, but are sumo, RDLs, or conventional deadlifts the best for gains with a Z? (laughs) Gotta add the Z. Gotta add the Z. Z. Sharif Ultrafit, you want to take this one? So um, there is a few exercises that have been proven to increase testosterone, right? Which helps you with your gains. Um, Squats is one of them. Deadlifts, chest presses. Um, So yes, do our deadlifts important? Yes. Uh, Now the problem with deadlifts is people perform them with horrible form, most people do. Um, They try to chase the numbers rather than the quality reps. So you're you having a horrible form, you're carrying such heavy weight, which leads to injury sooner or later, and then you're out of the game for so long, and you don't even want to go back and attempt it because that's in your head, that's what hurts you is the deadlift or the heavy squat. 
right? So as long as you um, not chase the numbers, deadlifts are a very important part of your exercise. You should hit them at least once a week, if not twice a week. But with proper form, with medium to light heavyweight, nothing crazy, um, to where you put yourself in a position where you're going to injure yourself and not be able to come back and continue your knee or your regular exercise or your normal daily activities. So yes, Romanian deadlifts are very important. You should do them, but do them the right way and with the right weights. So I'm a big fan of the sumo lift um, because it's actually proven to be a little bit safer and easier to accomplish um, if done properly, of course. Um, and I will piggyback right off of what Sri Volkifit said. It's not about the weight. It really isn't. It's about the way you're doing it. Um, and for a lot of people, um, you as you come up, you you know you tilt your your hips forward. Now, for the average person, I would say learn how to do a deadlift before you try that that motion, because once again, there's a right and wrong way to do it. Um, and if you're not seasoned and if you're not experienced in doing it, don't do it. It's as simple as that. I know what you see in the gym, um, but do your research before you just jump into any exercise. Um, so deadlifts are fantastic. You know, you want to see some gains in your legs, do deadlifts. Great compound workout. Once again, do the motion correctly. Do the lift correctly. Focus on the actual lift and not the amount of weight that you're tossing on it. You know, we did have a podcast a few, uh, about two, three podcasts ago, talking about light versus heavy. And if you listen to that podcast, you understand that you'll get the same results going light as you will going heavy. So that way you can stay away from injuries and, you know, get to your goal faster. And just to touch up on that, for those that, like the beginners that are trying to do deadlifts, um, if you're not familiar with it, Start with some back extensions. Strengthen your back muscles, your lower back muscles, your glutes, your hamstrings, and that'll help. It'll lead you to a proper deadlift. You know, you don't have to start with a bar right away. There's so many things you can do to work your way up, and then you can get to the bar. Then you work on your form with a bar, and then you can start adding the weight. I also Once think, your body adapts. I think uh, also the way that your like bone structure matters too right like i personally mm -hmm. I've, I've had knee injuries in the past and i have a harder time with a sumo deadlift i feel like it taxes my knees more mm -hmm. and i think people that have maybe a wider pelvic bowl like do better yeah. with sumo because they can they, their legs are at a different angle than a romanian deadlift or a conventional um but like like you guys said like you know you're you're the experts and 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 i think that low and slow is definitely the way to go but they're so fun the other um, thing that, but actually, one last thing with that, what a lot of people don't understand about deadlift is, like you said, it's it's your makeup. So if you're someone that has, you know, longer arms or um, longer shin bones, it may it may be more difficult to do deadlifts for you than it is for someone that has shorter arms or shorter shin bones, because it's all about the mechanism by how you're lifting. And once again, you can go by what Sharif Ultrafit said and do other things that will actually do the same work that a deadlift does. You can, in fact, even do deadlifts with just um, with just dumbbells instead of the barbell. You know, there's always ways around 
working out that if you have injuries, if you have, you know, something that's holding you back, you can do something else. It's the same, it's the exact same exercise, but there's other ways of doing it. So you have to be able to listen to your body, understand your body, know when you're, you're about to enter that danger zone and reevaluate and find something else to do that's similar to that exercise, right? That's, that's part of being a uh, good athlete or just in tune with your body, right? Period. You have to understand that, listen to your body, know when to stop, know when to put more weight, and just go from there. That's very important. I personally don't do squats, right? I don't do squats because they hurt me. All that weight compressing on my spine, I I try to avoid squats, especially with a bar, right? If I really want to squat, I'll grab a, a kettlebell or a dumbbell right here so there's no pressure on my spine, or I'll do a, a leg press instead, right? Um. It doesn't have to hurt everybody else, but it hurts me having the bar on my back compressing down my spine. So I choose not to do that exercise. That doesn't mean I have to ignore it. I just can't do it with a bar. I can do it with a kettlebell. I can do it with a dumbbell. I can do a different variation. I just cannot do it with a bar, and that's okay. That's totally fine. Doc Mock? Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, I was going to say from a physics standpoint the further away that any weight is from your body, from the plane of movement, like with the deadlift. So if you don't deadlift close to the plane of movement, your shins, that's increasing the weight by 15%, right? Mm -hmm. So you're lifting more without lifting more, you know? So I, I think as long as getting back to our concept of form, like you need to know what your body is capable of doing. Not everybody is meant to do a sumo RDL squat and, you need to keep in mind uh, those differences with within your body, and that's when you're seeking help from the professionals like you two. You know, is 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 uh, the key to success. The next um, listener mail comes from Wendy, and she asked, "What are the top three tips for starting keto?" Keto. So, yeah, so I I know what I know what I would say, but I'm sure you guys get asked about keto all the time, both in at, at work and, and regular life. It's the cool diet right now. So what are your top three tips? Well, first of all, um, I'm not a huge fan of diets, but uh, when it comes down to keto, I feel like most people struggle with keto because it's such a um, carb deficit that's involved in the diet, correct? That's how people lose the weight. Um, so again, little changes, instead of having a 70% carb deficit, why don't you start with like a 30% and then work your way up as you get used to it? Because again, most people, an average person, your diet in, includes probably 70 to 90% carbs. Uh, and it's sad to say that, but it's, it's a truth. So for you to go from 70 to 90% carb to 10%, you're not going to last. Um, you're going to be going to withdrawals. You're not going to last. Um, you're going to hate yourself. You're not going to have the energy to push through your workouts. So again, little changes 10% at a time until you make your way down to that 20%. That's the only thing I can say about that. I would agree. Um, also, the most important thing is to educate yourself in knowing how to do the keto diet properly, as Sharif UltraFit said. Um, and knowing what um, what foods have carbs and what foods don't have carbs. 
Um, and that is the, probably the biggest misconception with the keto diet is what you can eat and what you can't eat. But, you know, you need to educate yourself. You can do that by heading over to MaximVeing.com. And there is a great article written there by a certain Doc Mock um, that goes pretty much in depth about, you know, keto diet. Yeah, I, I, I think my top three tips are cleanliness, patience, and science. So cleanliness, meaning if you go on social media, people are eating keto. They post pictures of pizza and hamburgers and a big block of cheese with bacon on top. Cauliflower <laughs> pizza, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, the amount of carbs that you can have in a day is about 50 grams or less to get into ketosis. That slice of pizza is a way over it. And so Wait. is that burger with a bun. So, and the block of cheese and all that stuff only without your micronutrients is not going to get you to a healthy long-term lifestyle. The patient's thing is that it you can get to ketosis by intermittent fasting 8 to 12 hours, right? We have good scientific data on that. But to get into ketosis without intermittent fasting, it takes you about four days. So you need to, to wait to see the benefits. You also can't have the cheat day, right? You can't have that that day of flexibility in your space where you have carbs. You're going to go right out of ketosis immediately. Mm -hmm. And then you're back in it in four, four days, and then you're out of it again. So you're not going to see the benefit if you're ping-ponging with that. And then the science part is, I would say, track, right? Track macros and dip your urine. You can get ketone dipsticks for like pennies on the dollar on Amazon and see when you actually enter ketosis. If you're not in ketosis after that four to six day time period, you need to drop your carbohydrate intake. Mm -hmm. And remember, and just as a gauge for the people out there, when you're thinking of the number of carbs in a day in equivalent to healthy foods, two apples is all of your carbs for the day on keto. So for, for Wendy, when I address these questions, first I ask like, why do you wanna get on keto? I think that's an important point that Sharif Ultrafit, you, you definitely alluded to. If, you're, if your goals are to lose weight quickly, you can get there. And there's great science behind keto, but the question is, can you sustain it? And that's mm -hmm. where I think you have to have that conversation with yourself about your goals. And a lot of the people that we work with come to us wanting keto, but when we go through the two apple theory and all that stuff, they're like, I can't no, thank that. you. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather do a sustainable maximal being type plan. So, but yeah. we, we, we do both. All right. That's podcast awesome. four in the books, everybody. I mean, you know, I hope all of you are inspired to go outside right now and walk or stand up at your desk or at least get up periodically and go for a walk around the office. I, Take our challenge and go ahead and walk after work instead of binging Netflix. Um, Sharif Ultrafit. No, no, no. There's mobile Netflix people. Just binge it as you walk. <laughs> <laughs> then you can't see where you're walking. We get up and move, people. Sharif Ultrafit, where can we find you? Yes, you guys can find me at Sharif Ultrafit on Instagram or I'm part of the Maximal Being team. You can find me on their website or on Facebook at Sharif Abdelatif. Aaron Graham, should they subscribe or comment or something to this podcast if they're liking it? I don't know. I mean, who wouldn't? We're, we're, we're kind of awesome. But no, seriously, look for you to subscribe. 
to our YouTube page. Um, we are on Instagram. Uh, we are on Twitter as well. You know, drop a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Um, we always look for more questions so that we can address them here on the podcast. Yeah, and head on over to maximalbeing.com slash learn for way more information than we can provide you for in an hour's time. And if you want one of our custom fitness or nutrition or gut health plans, head on over to maximalbeing.com slash shop. Our kombucha course continues to have more uh, enrollees, so you can find it at the same spot. And until next time, Maximal Beings, this is RN Graham Sharif, UltraFit, and Doc Mock, and we're here with the Maximal Being Podcast. Thank you.